0: welcome again to the world famous driving you crazy podcast. I am one of your co-hosts for the program today and every day. The traffic anchor for Denver 7 News Jason Looper.
1: I am the healthier version of pedestrian advocate and producer Joseph Peters feeling much better after feeling much worse for the majority of last week.
0: Yes you were uh, deathly ill. I was worried about because we've heard so much about the flu and how it's taken people out. Yes. And uh, was worried that you might be one of the casualties of that.
1: I felt the same way. I am the worst patient on the planet, so I did not take my temperature once during the entire time I was sick. I did not visit a doctor. I just took a lot of medication and went about my business.
0: Well, there you go. You let the old uh, Amish method work its way out.
1: Is that the Amish method? I don't know,
0: but there are some religions that will just never go to the doctor and just and let your body work it out.
1: I mean, that's that, I guess that's my religion too. I and guess. and
0: if you, and if it doesn't work out that way, then well, that was God's will. <laughs> so I'm back from some time off uh, earlier this week. The plan was to fly to San Diego. I was going to fly on Sunday. Well, we were going to spend a couple of days there, celebrate my father-in-law's 70th birthday. We were going to play some golf in Madeiras. You know, it's like the top-rated public golf course there in San Diego. Uh, we were going to go to SeaWorld. I already had SeaWorld tickets ready for Tuesday. But unfortunately, the snow threw a little wrench into the old plans there, Joseph. Oh, wow. I, I got the notice about 3.30 on Saturday afternoon in my email that the 8 a.m. Sunday flight was already canceled. And the next Frontier flight that they could put us on was on Monday morning. And and so we would just basically then, if we flew on Monday morning, mm-hmm. we'd fly into San Diego be there for a night, go to SeaWorld on Tuesday, and fly right back here on Wednesday.
1: Right. It cuts your vacation time basically in half.
0: Yeah. So we thought it would probably be better since they offered us a full refund or to book us on another flight to take the refund. And then we parlayed that money into a hotel up in Glenwood Springs. Uh, So we went to the Hotel Colorado. Up there in Glenwood Springs, yeah, this was his plan, and he not, he didn't plan for a snowstorm to cancel our trip to San Diego. Right. He wanted to go anyway, somewhere in the mountains and go skiing. That's what he, really what he wanted to do. So it just worked out well. So he we went up, and he's never stayed. He's seventy years old, been here in Colorado basically his whole life. He uh, never has stayed at the hotel Colorado, so he had a, he, they rented the Roosevelt room. The the suite, I guess it was, where the president stayed. The presidential suite. The presidential suite, because the president stayed in that room, that suite, and then addressed the crowd of Glenwood Springs from the balcony that I was standing on as well.
1: So you were in this room. Did it feel presidential to you? It
0: was very nice. Uh, They had a great old Victrola that was sitting there. Oh, it was just gorgeous. Somebody had cracked one of the records, though, that was on it. Mm Mm-hmm just a gorgeous record player.
1: Did you find yourself standing at podiums and giving speeches to an eager press corps while you were in the press I did not
0: uh, I felt like I could okay um, but I did not do that because there was uh, not a whole lot of people around gotcha so we uh, we did spend some time in the hot springs pool right next door which is always lovely. Uh, always stinky and
1: lovely Therapeutic
0: I've Yes, heard. very therapeutic uh, Love it It was great because it was, what, 30 degrees or so outside Yes But the pool was nice and warm And so you get out of the pool and then you're steaming And it's <laughs> that's pretty fun
1: That's the, one of my favorite experiences every winter Is the first time you go from a hot tub to the outdoors When it's below freezing And you yes. just feel that temperature shift
0: so uh, it wasn't quite the ocean, but nonetheless, it was nice. The girls love getting on planes, but you know they they also enjoy being in a hotel. So it wasn't a plane trip, but it was a trip. Either way, and we we skied sunlight one day, which was a nice little resort. The views from the top of sunlight, looking back at at like the um at the Aspen area, Independence okay. Pass, and the. Maroon bells, and and looking back towards the Glenwood Springs Valley, it was just spectacular. One of the better views I've ever had at the top of a ski mountain. It was just spectacular. It was really nice. Uh, And while relaxing at the hotel one day, I saw this article, and and it talked about self-driving suitcases, because we've talked a lot about self-driving cars, but but not about a self-driving suitcase.
1: Where does it drive itself to?
0: Well, the, it it just basically follows you along, uh, uh, follows follows you like a like a puppy dog. Oh, okay. that's basically what it does. Um, it, it's it's a robot suitcase, and it, and it's from this California startup called Travel Mate, and it's controlled with your with your smartphone. There's an app that you get, and and it just rolls along aside you as you're walking around and it can go seven miles an hour so as you're speeding running from concourse to concourse trying to catch the next <laughs> flight it will presumably catch up uh, you know keep up with you because it's seven miles an hour i mean I, when i it's when, seven miles
1: an hour it's a hazard that's a pretty good run else.
0: that's a pretty good run because yeah. i because i if i'm walking at three and a half four miles an hour that's a pretty good walk Seven is a pretty good run.
1: As a person who is on the treadmill quite a bit, turn that thing up to seven miles an hour the next time you're in there and see what it feels like to travel as fast as this little suitcase. And tell me that's not dangerous, zooming around the airport at seven miles an hour. And they
0: say you can control it like you could a drone with your smartphone, or it can just follow you around. It's a little bit expensive. Uh, It's priced at around $1,100. So regular suitcases are a couple hundred bucks if you get a really nice one. So obviously it's a lot more than that. But it's it's not, you know, the, your regular suitcase isn't going to follow you around like
1: a dog. That's just it. You're paying for the privilege of having a suitcase that moves.
0: There was a competing, I, I, I looked this up and, and I, I saw this, there's a competing smart suitcase from this company, a Chinese startup called Forward X, and it's supposed to be used with facial recognition. So you don't even need the smartphone application. It uses computer vision and a driving algorithm to have a clear path. The Forward X suitcase, they say, also has gesture control technology and can be immobilized to protect it against theft, against somebody just taking it. They expect to be ready for sale of those things by the middle part of this year and priced at just under $1,000.
1: Huh. I hate it. Well, why? Well, I guess it depends on how big it is. I mean, if you're talking about a, a suitcase— A regular size suitcase. Well, I know, but do they sell bigger models, like something that a roadie would be pushing into the back of a concert? Because that's more interesting to me. If you have like something that would be otherwise impossible to wheel in, then yeah, why not have it drive right next to you?
0: And then I looked up—I thought, because uh, I remember this suitcase where it didn't just follow you around. You could actually sit on it and drive it around. Uh, it's called a mo- Moto Bag— it actually lacks artificial intelligence, uh, but what it does do is allows you to sit on it, and then you can ride around with the suitcase on the suitcase, and all your clothes and all your stuff. So, it's like a it's like a wheelchair suitcase. That's kind of handy,
1: I suppose. Yeah, I picture yeah. you like putting a saddle on a normal suitcase and just sure. riding around the air. Why airport. not? Hey, it's Denver.
0: <laughs> we put saddles on a lot of different things. All right, so. Uh, I posted a story last week on our website. I don't know if you saw it. it it's it's called the denverchannel.com, and it had to deal with a viewer who isn't a fan of a bus-only lane in Boulder on Arapahoe Avenue. Now, the driver wrote, wrote to me, and he, he was complaining that this bus-only lane takes away a driving lane from all commuters, and so he gets delayed about 15 to 30 minutes on a daily basis because of the congestion there. And as part of the answer to this viewer's question, I started my story with this sentence, I can relate to your frustration, Kurt. It still seems like a waste to me to have the bus lanes on Lincoln Street and Broadway in downtown Denver closed to all traffic during off-peak commuting times. Maybe the bus lane could be shared with high-occupancy vehicles or electric cars to maximize its usefulness. Since I'll never be mayor, I'll just have to deal with it. And then I go on to explain from the city of Boulder and the county of Boulder, they have transportation people. I had uh, a full story. Uh, about this bus lane and it's a, and what they think about it.
1: Right, I mean, there's a detailed breakdown here.
0: Right. So, but that was just the first part of this story that I put down. So a few hours after the story was posted, I, I received a Twitter message from a user named Sunshine. Well, at least the Twitter handle is called at Mountain Daytime, and I don't know if this person is a man or woman. So when I looked at the profile, it didn't indicate a gender, but I I noticed the pinned tweet at the top. That says, if the only tool you have is a car, everything looks like a freeway. Well, right there, that should give you a pretty good indication from where this person sits. So now we can look at the Twitter exchange that I had with this, let's just say him for convenience. Uh, and But you know now that person's pr- perspective. Correct. I know plenty of men named Sunshine. <laughs> Who only like transit. Yes. So he writes to me. The bus lane on Broadway and Lincoln transport thousands of people to work every day, far more than would be able to fit in that lane in cars. I replied saying, sure, that's true, but the lanes could also accommodate more traffic if people in cars were allowed to use them during off-peak hours. He writes back saying, no, if you allow private cars to block the buses, the bus service deteriorates and people stop using it, then those who have no other choice are stuck with terrible service and more people drive. I was thinking this person either has no sense of shared space at all. None. He it, It's transit only. This is an all-or-nothing argument that I know that I am never going to win with that person. And when, when I say win, I, I mean convince that person to look at a different viewpoint in, in a debate and acknowledge other points as valid. There's... There, when you're, when you're looking to win an argument, that's, that's basically what you're looking for.
1: And that's, I mean, one of the most difficult things to do these days, correct, is to actually win an argument. Because a lot of people, especially given the power of the internet, are so hard-headed that they're not willing to change their opinion. And these arguments always end up in a stalemate. They're one of the reasons that I try to stay away from these arguments on Twitter as much as possible. Although sometimes you just can't help but get sucked in.
0: They like to emote. They like to be emotional about things. Yes. And, and, and will not let it... Uh, let let logic and reason creep in past that emotion and and, and change their arguments in, in any way. Correct, uh, and that was exactly what was happening in this case. So I, I knew I was talking to an ideologue, and and anything I would say except for "I'm sorry, I was wrong," you are right. It, it was going to make this person angry. So basically, I, I knew I was going to be in a, in a losing situation if I started really pressing this guy. Right. So he writes back, and he says, Accommodating more traffic should not be a goal. Encouraging more driving, especially in the heart of the city, is not a good thing. Moving more people, creating a safer, healthier place for those that live here is a goal. Transit does that. Cars do not. See? Right there. In his world, cars and oil and non-transit infrastructure is bad. And walking and trains and buses are great. I'm dealing with a transit purist here. And I know this is a time where I need to tread like I'm on really thin ice. Okay, So I say back to him, you and I will have an irreconcilable difference of opinion about how best to move people from place to place. To me, an empty lane when a bus isn't using it for 10 minutes is wasted productivity. Everyone on transit is not a perfect answer, nor is building more traffic lanes. Then he fires back at me. He says, the purpose of public space is not to move and store cars. Public space that's not consistently filled with traffic is a very desirable thing. Just look at real estate ads promoting a quiet street. You've made an entire career reporting on the daily nightmare of getting around by driving. You'd think you'd be able to see what a failure that system is. Of course, the more it fails, the more job security you have.
1: Well, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose.
0: Yes, Either he at this point is trying to bait me into a full-fledged argument or is just so blind to his own singular point of view that he just can't see straight. I mean, yeah. Does everybody want traffic blowing by their street? No. But does that mean that if there were uh, uh, no cars that we would actually have those streets it, the, the infrastructure would be completely
1: different. Well, I think it's also a gross exaggeration to say that the streets across the city are clogged with cars. I think right. there are plenty of spaces where there aren't enough cars on the roads.
0: So I'm I'm getting more antsy to unload on this guy. I just want to I, I just want to go after him. And, but but I'm acting with with immense restraint here, Joseph, because I I know that again I'm in a no-win situation. I say I think calling getting around by driving a daily nightmare is a bit strong. Some people live in places where commuting options aren't available. Some people feel more comfortable in their own vehicle. And some people come to work at 3.30 in the morning when transit isn't a practical option. Referring to my own commute. Because that wouldn't be an option for me. Then here comes the class warfare argument from this guy. He says... And many people don't have the option to drive because of income, age, disability, or many other reasons, or just don't want to. Yeah, of course, I don't want to ride on a bus, maybe, right? Right. Bus lanes, he says, like this, make getting around without a car possible. Prioritizing transit will make it a practical option for more and more people. A city cannot function on a car-based transportation system. Other modes have to be prioritized and be made to be practical options. Giving over all our space to cars does not work. It fails so badly, every news outlet reports on it every 10 minutes. Not to mention the cost. Cities go broke trying to keep up with road, building, and maintenance. And the deaths, and pollution, and the energy use, and the personal costs of cars to people because no other option exists. Oh my goodness. So, I was looking at this and shaking Away my we head. go, right? Yeah. So, let's d- d- dissect a little bit of this. Cities in Europe that are, are heavy on transit and restrict personal vehicles, they're not utopian. Are they Are they just perfect utopia cities? No, they're not. They're, and they just never will be. you got to have a balance of both. The first sentence where he says, and many people don't have the option to drive because of income, age, disability, or many other reasons, or just don't want to. Yes! And some people don't want to ride on a bus for those exact same reasons. That's what... I wanted to say back to this person, but I played nice because I know if I said that, he was going to blast me for being a, a probably a racist or a classist or a whateverist.
1: Well, so here's the counter argument from a bus rider's perspective right, or from a pedestrian's perspective is that if you don't have these bus lanes on Lincoln or Broadway or if you dev- allow cars to use them, Then buses, which are already moving significantly slower because they're stopping to pick people up every block, have another roadblock in their way. And that's why, I I mean, basically it's a 10 minute, 15 minute disadvantage in some cases where because the bus has to stop so often, they're already making it what would be a 20 minute commute in a car, an hour long commute by bus. And so when you do have that bus lane on Broadway, it helps negate some of the impact on your time that comes from being caught in traffic
0: yes and that's why we have the limited buses too that make only uh, infrequent stops rather than the local buses that make every stop
1: but that's i mean that's equally frustrating right i mean sometimes if i'm just running to colfax to grab the first bus i'm kind of rolling the dice and hoping that i get the 16l because if i get the regular 16 i know it's an extra 20 minutes on my commute
0: same thing is why I, uh, I infrequently would want to use the light rail to go to downtown because it does stop at so many stations. It takes an hour instead of taking a half an hour uh, to do the same thing in a car. And look, there are some people that don't have the uh, enough income to drive. And maybe some people just don't want to drive. They maybe they don't have the space. They live in downtown. They don't have the space, a parking space, or it costs them too much for this or that, or they just don't have the money to buy a car and keep it maintained or whatever. But I hope that that same person is working towards car ownership if they don't have one. Because, because personal car ownership actually allows a person to have more freedom to move where and when they want. Mm-hmm. It actually, it's very liberating to have your own car and not have to rely on public transit. Then he said prioritizing transit will make it a practical option for more and more people. A city cannot function on a car-based transportation system. Can't it? So who's going to pay for all of this? That's where I wanted to also ask him these questions. (laughs) But he's going to say higher taxes on the rich, I'm sure. Higher taxes on everybody else except him.
1: Well, I mean, just keep the taxes that we had in place already instead of cutting them again.
0: We don't have to get into the tax debate, but, nope. you know, you tax, you get yeah, less man, of, you get, you know, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Other models have, this is him again, other models have been, have to be prioritized and uh, be made to be practical options. Look, I disagree with that as well. There are cities all through Europe that prioritize transit. They throw a lot of money at transit. They still have people driving cars. They still need people driving cars. They're, they're actually moving people in better ways with a mix of the transit and the buses and the trains and the cars mm-hmm. it it has to it it's not all for one and one for all in the transit world it has to be a mix to get people moved around in in one city
1: I think from a bicyclist standpoint, your argument is that you wish there was a system that was equally good as what cars have to get you from point A to point B instead of having to share it with cars. Like I think there's that sort of you want these two methods of transportation to have separate but equal priority. And as we've learned in the past, separate but equal is a philosophy that's difficult to actually make work.
0: So he went on to say, giving all our space to cars does not work. It feels it fails so badly that in every news outlet reports on it every 10 minutes. We don't give all our space to cars, okay? We don't. If we look outside right now, we'll see buses, and we'll see trains and bikes and, and people li- like you walking on most days mm-hmm. out there on the streets. Giving all of our space only to the buses doesn't work either. And giving all of our space to the trains doesn't work either. This is not an either-or solution. There, there has to be a mix of many forms of commuting, but this person will never agree to that point. He is all in on transit, period. So he finishes that rant with this gem. Cities go broke by trying to keep up with road building and maintenance, and the deaths, and the pollution, and the energy use, and the personal cost of cars to people because no other option exists. The last time I looked, God gave most of us, when we were born, a couple of feet attached to a couple of legs, they're, they're pretty efficient when you when you take care of them, right? When they're well taken care of, they, they actually work pretty well to get you from place to place.
1: I'm not trying to brag. I'm a living example.
0: I know. You use yours all the time. <laughs> you use them great, right? Yeah. I use mine all the time. I like my legs and feet, hips and, and buttocks, and I'm moving around just great. There are many options in a modern society to get around from place to place, and these transit option options this guy is talking about really work for maybe a, a very – tight, congested with people, downtown urban area. It doesn't work for more rural, out-suburb areas. But I, I know this guy, if I asked him about suburbs, he would hate him.
1: It's true. But at the same time, I mean, because of the way that housing works, some people are going to live a 15 to 20-minute drive away from their work, and they're not going to be right next to a bus stop.
0: Right. And it actually costs less. And that's why a lot of people go out to suburbs in the first. It, it costs them less than it did to draw, to to live in the city. Right. I mean, living in the city, I got to have half the space or twice the cost if I'm trying to buy here in downtown. Correct. It's ridiculous. <laughs> correct. We've discussed the cost of transit all the time, and rideshare, and vehicle ownership, and and how, even how to lower your cost of vehicle ownership, and, and and even with lower income people, how they can use some techniques to to get around even cheaper. Recently, we talked on the show about how we would still need roads, even in the utopian walk, bike, bus, train society. If there's an emergency, we still need to move emergency vehicles from place to place if there's an emergency. He, he mentions the death. Yes, it's tragic. He mentions pollution and energy, buses and even clean electric trains run on fossil fuels. We're not there yet with perfectly clean energy. So there's still going to be pollution. I just spent a few days at a small town, Glenwood Springs. They have a bus. They have several shuttles, even though it's an easily walkable city. It's a mix between walking and driving and buses. They even have the Amtrak that runs up through there. So I guess I could throw a train in the mix.
1: I I think the broader point that your opposition is trying to make, is that downtown Denver has grown into a city that should skew more towards walkers and bikers, but it's still built like a city that's geared towards cars.
0: Isn't every basic city now that has been built since, what, the 1700s, 1800s built around that, Uh, built around uh, horses, carriages, trolleys? Cars. Right. Well,
1: and I mean, if we want to, part of that's military based too, because if you're driving tanks into a city, you want to have a road that's wide enough for the tank. So you have to have that wide stretch of asphalt, regardless of what you're doing with cars, bikes, or walkers. I just think, you know, a lot of these people want to take back more of the space that's currently devoted to cars and give it to bikers and people in wider sidewalks. And frankly, there are some parts of this city specifically that don't have sidewalks at all. And that is an outrage, and that is something that should be addressed.
0: I, I really, really wanted to s- to uh, send some stinging rebuttals this guy's way. But again, I refrained, mainly because I, I really didn't want to get into a Twitter war with this person. I didn't reply for 15 minutes because I started working on another n- another project, but this guy was not done. So he writes me some more on top of that last diatribe, saying, Yes, many people live in places where transit is not easily available. This is because those places were designed specifically for cars. Our land use has to change as well. Does it? What, what because you don't like the way we use our land? Seriously? Anyway, he continues. But that does not mean those people get to take over the neighborhoods and streets of others where transit and walking should be viable means of getting around. They do not get to demand highways through other people's neighborhoods. They do not get to block bus traffic with their cars. They do not get to pollute our air, endanger our children, and degrade our public space so they can drive to work faster. Yes, I know the original point was about bus lanes during off-peak hours. That is merely a symptom of this overall problem. Why do cars need the bus lanes at off-peak hours? They get by fine during peak hours. Why do they need all the space the rest of the time? What's a waste is giving over that space to cars, even when there is absolutely no need for it. Cars are private transportation available to people with money and physical ability. They have no right to impede public transportation that is available to all. And, of course, the word all is in all caps. So he was either making a point a final point, or, or yelling at me.
1: Capital letters in a text message or on the internet just feel like shouting so much.
0: This is another one of those, class. you know, it's it's them versus us. It is a, you have some money, so you have a car, and why should you be able to drive your car on the public streets? Because I'm paying for a public street, and the transit is available for all.
1: Right. I, don't, I mean, and it, let's be fair, none of us want people to lose their homes because of a highway expansion. Like you know what and I he's mean? He's talking
0: like, basically about I seventy uh, that expansion project where they're going to tear down some homes, and what they've done over there is that they, yes, they're giving them more than fair value. They're actually buying them out and giving about a one and a half times what the fair value is of of their property, and then also getting them new places.
1: Yes, so the renters get assistance, right? If these homes are being rented, and the majority of them are. And the homeowners get a nice cash out, so I think it's a win if you're a homeowner. But if you're renting one of those homes, I mean, you're just getting kicked out.
0: There are other homes in that area too that they can move to. I mean, it's just that that that's just part of the economics of of life. And if it's if that area is going to grow, and and you would want most people want to live in a in, in a neighborhood that is clean, that is safe, mm-hmm. that is uh, vibrant with some uh, different. People and and businesses and that sort of thing. Well, when that happens, typically, when neighborhoods get cleaned up that that have been run down in the past, those property values go up, rents go up, and some of the people who all might be on the very low end of that have to move out. Mm-hmm. That's just the way. That's the way life is. It's not fair,
1: right, to uh, everybody. Well, and that's just it. And I think it's it's hitting people at all income levels where they're having the conversation about is this somewhere as a city where my salary can buy the things that I want as compared to a city that isn't as built up or isn't quite as desirable for whatever reason. And some of those cities that you would call less desirable by looking at a real estate heat map are actually very nice places to live with plenty of job opportunities where you would be able to stretch your dollar a lot more than you currently can in Colorado. I'm not telling people to move out. I'm just saying, to your point, these are economics.
0: Right. Exactly right. And knowing there was so much that needed to be addressed in that diatribe, I decided to do the adult thing, and I replied after just a few minutes, saying simply, I appreciate your point of view, and I bid you a good day. Basically, I was ending the conversation because it was an argument that was going nowhere, had the potential of getting very sour very quickly. I've had my fair share of those arguments in the past. I didn't feel like having another one. But it was about 15 minutes later when I got the final reply. It said, I hope the city of Denver continues prioritizing transit so that traffic conditions improve for all. And traffic reporters will have to find something more interesting to do with their time later. Look, uh, my job is a result of the daily congestion. If, if there were empty roads and everyone was on transit like buses and trains, then I probably wouldn't have a job, would I? And, and I'm just fine with that. I can go do something else. I've done a lot of other things in my life, and this is just one stop along the road. The, the reason we need police is because there are bad people breaking the law. That's why we need police, correct. right? The reason we need custodians is because people that work generally don't pick up after themselves and they're slobs. I, I, I'm just... Also correct. Right? <laughs> the reason we need traffic anchors is because there is congestion around cities. That's why we need us. There are a lot of jobs that I'm able to do. I'm not qualified for any of them, but I can do them. Th- then about a half an hour later, I get another message. It said, I think this alone is enough to qualify as a nightmare. 605 people died in Colorado last year. Any other system would be shut down for failing this badly. He was talking about the number of traffic fatalities last year. It was one of the highest in recent history. And as I recall, a very small percentage, though, came from downtown crashes or urban crashes with cars and pedestrians. So most came on faster-moving highways. So in his world, we wouldn't have faster-moving highways. So would all those people then be alive and congesting his sidewalk because we'd have 600 more people on his sidewalk slowing
1: him down? I mean, that's one way of looking at it.
0: I mean, even if every city in the nation was transit-only, we still need to move goods from place to place. How else is he going to get all his organic produce when he shops at Sprouts?
1: In fairness, it's really hard to get to a Sprouts from downtown Denver.
0: I mean, all of this came from my suggestion that we share a bus lane, that used to be a shared lane not too long ago. It's exhausting dealing with people like this sometimes. Yes. At least this guy, even though he he did send an email to the newsroom, he wasn't hell bent on getting me fired like
1: like there have been in the past. Several times. You are not well liked by some people.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, that's okay.
1: That's good. I mean, not, if, if not you're not everybody. doing it that way, you're not doing it the right way.
0: Exactly. So that was that, and, well, it 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 won't be the last time, I'm sure.
1: No, it's not. But to your original point, there's nothing more frustrating than watching somebody get rewarded on Broadway because they decided to jump in the bus-only lane, and they got to their destination a lot faster because nobody polices that. Right.
0: Well, does it bug you when you pull up to a traffic light, but the driver in front of you doesn't pull all the way up to the car in front of them? So there's a, a, a large gap there, and it kind of bugs you that, hey, you could be up another 10 or 5 or 10 or 15 feet, right? Yes. Okay. We'll explore that and so much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues.
1: I'm Connor Wist, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber.
0: We're informative. We're first on the scene with a lot of breaking news in the morning. Uh, we're very accurate with our information that we get and pass on to the viewers. Uh, we have a lot of drunk drivers out there that we're dealing with. Um, I've seen people come northbound on Broadway, as we're, and it's a one-way. Uh, it's a lot of danger out there in the middle of the night. The toughest part of the job out there is trying to get accurate information and trying to build a rapport with a lot of law enforcement agencies so we get the accurate information.
1: Daryl Orr, only on Denver 7. We're trying new things.
0: We're uh, adapting to what the viewers want. Um, it's exciting because we are experimenting a little bit. We're trying to bring different stories that people aren't going to see on other news programs that kind of have gotten stuck in their ways. Um, and because we love this city, I'm from here originally. I grew up here. My family has very, very deep ties here. And um, I care about the news that affects my family, that affects my friends, that affects my community. And I want other people to. to care about it as well. Megan
1: Lopez, only on Denver 7.
0: Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, where we try to stay one step ahead of the competition well, it's not too tough right now because, as far as we know, this is the only podcast like this of its kind. If there is another one, we'll take him on on a head on, head 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 to head competition, like yes. they do on uh, Amazing Race. I will bring my football helmet. You, <laughs> the one that has the Patriots insignia on it. That's correct. Because, uh, really, I think they'd all be scared of us, frankly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> so I have here in my hands, Joseph. The list, the top 10 stolen vehicles in the Denver metro area as provided by the Aurora Police Department. We'll do this list backwards, counting down to number one, because that's the way they did it on the Letterman Show. So coming in at number 10, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, 189 stolen. Number nine, the Toyota Camry, 193 stolen. Number eight, the Chevy Silverado, 239 of them stolen. Uh, Number seven, the Subaru Legacy. Two hundred and fifty four stolen. Uh, that's the there's two Subarus on this list. Uh, the number six one is Jeep Cherokee. That's different than the Grand Cherokee. This is just a regular Jeep Cherokee at two hundred and sixty three. So if you combine the two, I mean you're you're knocking right. on the door in the top five. Into the top five. At number five is a Ford F three hundred and fifty at two hundred and ninety nine. At number four is the Ford F two hundred and fifty at four hundred and twelve. That's quite the jump from basically 300 to 400 and here's where it gets pretty hefty number three the second subaru on the list the impreza at 482 and then the numbers really jump uh, by double at number two the honda accord 914 stolen last year and the number one car stolen in the denver metro area in 2017 was drum roll please the honda civic At 955, so you put the Honda Accord and the Civic together, you have almost 1,900 cars stolen. Almost 2,000 cars between the Civic and the Accord.
1: Jeez, popular target for thieves, those vehicles.
0: Yeah, I know, the Hondas are always on the top of the list year after year. I I noticed my Chevy Volt, not on the list. You know what? And I think I think I found the reason why. I think a lot of the electric cars are not going to be on the list one because there aren't many of them on the road. And two, I think thieves would be scared to steal them because they don't know how to drive them and they would be they'd be up, uh, a little freaked out about the range anxiety. <laughs> that they have to go let's say 20 miles to take it to the chop shop or whatever. But they only have 10 miles on the charge.
1: Right. They might have to stop in an electric car parking spot instead of just a regular car parking spot.
0: And then so they'll, so they'll take your stolen car to the front of the city county building, charge it up, and then take it to wherever they need to to cut it down. And what are they going to do with electric car parts?
1: Flawless plan. There you go.
0: We've talked many times on this show about reducing speed limits, how it really doesn't work when trying to control speeders. That being said, I don't think the fine folks serving in the city council in Portland, Oregon, have listened to our podcast, nor have they read anything regarding the matter because they dropped the speed limit on the city's 25-mile-an-hour streets to 20 miles an hour. 70% of Portland's roads are affected by this change. They say this is part of Portland's Vision Zero Action Plan, which seeks to eliminate all fatal and serious injury crashes in the city by 2025. So be, let's lower the speed limit now. They are under the false presumption, though, that the speed limit change will cut in half the number of pedestrian injuries, Joseph. It won't happen.
1: Skeptical, Jason Luber.
0: We've talked about how people tend to drive an average speed at which they feel safe regardless of the speed limit. Reducing the limit doesn't necessarily slow down traffic. Increasing the fines to ridiculous levels and traffic calming measures are the only proven Methods that really work. Maybe I should tag the city of Portland to the show so they could take a listen. They'll, they'll know what works and maybe what doesn't work.
1: city like Portland, they will jack up the fines to ridiculous levels. Yeah,
0: you're probably right. I don't know what the fine is now for speeding in Portland. If you go over, let's say, usually they like to write tickets at 10 over. So if you're going 30 in the 20 zones, I wonder what that fine really is. If it's 500 bucks, then you're going to start getting to people's attentions. Do you line up bumper to bumper when approaching a traffic light when you're driving?
1: We try to, yeah.
0: So, so, like, you pull right up to the car in front of you. You don't really leave a lot of space there?
1: Right. There, In my mind, there is no other way to do it.
0: Well, well, if you were to ask a driving school instructor, they would probably tell you that it's a no-no and that it would likely increase your risk of a collision. Well, researchers at the Virginia Tech College of Engineering say it's a widely accepted practice Based on the idea that the closer a car is to the traffic light, the more likely that your car will be able to get through that intersection before the light will turn red again. After recording footage of 10 volunteer drivers at traffic lights, researchers say that those who stopped really, really close to the cars in front of them and therefore closer to the traffic light gained no advantage over drivers who stopped at a distance of 25 feet. They say there was no advantage because the close stoppers had to establish space between them and the car in front of them before accelerating once the light turned green. In other words, they had to wait for that car in front of them to go, start going, get some safe distance there, and then they could start going. The research published in the New Journal of Physics, it's a publication that's way too lofty to be seen on my coffee table at home, also confirmed that tailgating leads to more rear-end collisions. There was a similar experiment, though, using pedestrians, and the findings are actually different. They find with pedestrians, the closer people got to each other, the faster they could empty a line, since humans can accelerate very quickly. Even so, just get ready for lots of ugly looks or a honk or two. If you don't pull up all the way to the close, uh, to uh, really close to the car in front of you no, when you get absolutely. to a stoplight.
1: I mean, it's great research. And, I, you know, everything they say sounds great, that you have to wait for the driver in front of you to go a little bit so yes. you don't get any time advantage. But that's not why people do it. It takes up less space. You feel like you're as close as you possibly can be to moving forward from the traffic. Yeah. It's all psychological.
0: And if you don't do it, it makes, really, it makes people really, really mad. I usually stop back far enough from the car in front of me, so that uh, I, I wouldn't be forced into the car. Let's say if somebody hit me from behind, I wouldn't be forced in that car in front of me. so that's that's basically how much space I leave in front of me to the car that's waiting in the traffic light. Uh-huh. So most times I, I leave I leave actually a little bit more space at first, and then I might creep up a little bit as as the guy behind me has stopped. And so I know that the collision risk is obviously much lower. And, and, and speaking of red lights, a study of the UK's University of Surrey and published in an Atmospheric Environments find that when drivers are stopped at a traffic light, they're being exposed to harmful nanoparticles emitted from vehicles, and those pollutants are known to factor into heart and respiratory disease.
1: Oh. Oh. Swerve.
0: That's what's going to give me heart disease. I'm going to die from waiting at traffic lights. Right there. Not I, booze. I,
1: I- I knew a traffic light was going to get me killed one day, I didn't know that was how it would be.
0: It's not going to be all the trans fat in my creamer like my wife says. It's going to be breathing at a stoplight that's going to kill me. Wow. Here's what what I feel about that study.
1: I, I just took a study of two, and that study was dumb.
0: When you think of a dangerous job, Joseph, do you ever think of driving test officer? Is that a dangerous job in your book?
1: Yes. It is?
0: When you have to get in and actually be the driving test officer for somebody who, who is just trying to get that new license. It's turning into a violent job in New Zealand as many of the instructors are getting hurt or in other confrontations in one of the worst cases of abuse.
1: That was not the way I thought it would be dangerous.
0: Oh, yes. Wait till you hear this. An instructor was kicked out of the car miles from the testing office after the driver realized he had failed the test. One person became violent after the tester refused to do the test because the car brought in didn't have enough gas in it. A father shoved the driving test officer when his daughter failed the driving test. A customer pushed the driving test officer when their vehicle was deemed not roadworthy enough prior to the commencement of their test. And there are multiple accounts of customers either threatening violence or being being, uh, verbally abusive After failing their driver's test in New Zealand.
1: Uh, In fairness, my brother was very verbally abusive to his driving test officer when he failed his driver's test. How so? There were just a lot of curse words, which we will not repeat on this podcast. Although it would be very funny for me to have you have to bleep them out later. Okay, probably (laughs) funny for our (laughs) listeners, too. Maybe we'll do that next time. Okay.
0: The editor of the car review website, dogandlemon.com, says Kiwis tend to not take criticism of their driving very well. He says many New Zealand drivers have greatly inflated views of their own ability, sounds like Americans too, Mm -hmm. because they assume that the problem on the roads are caused by everyone else, they don't take criticism very well. They're also often hypocrites who toot angrily at double-parked drivers, then double-park themselves. He also believes that the level of aggression is higher than ever. I agree I I think that is also happening across the United States yes, as well. I think absolutely. it's just higher aggression from every driver, every person. Um it, it's why I get so many complaints uh when I'm doing my Facebook live broadcasts. Uh how people are, are saying that there's rude drivers and left lane drive, you know, all this all this all the all the, the left lane campers. Yes, ah, exactly.
1: There are so many left lane campers that have moved here. I am an anti left lane camper. Yes. There's a lot that I I get those complaints
0: all the time. And I just posted a video from my dash cam on my Facebook page. Uh, It showed a driver in front of me. I was going down uh, Logan Street here. The driver in front of him was, so there's this guy in front of me, and then the guy in front of him was going, well, in in his view, uh, the speed limit, which wasn't fast enough. So this tailgater passed the other driver through a left turn only lane into oncoming lanes across a double yellow line just to get around him right through a traffic traffic light. A totally dangerous move, but this guy was, I guess, in a hurry for some reason.
1: I mean, yeah, a lot of high risk, high reward, you could say.
0: So that editor of the car review website, dogandlemon.com, added that more and more we're having to share our roads. That means reducing our expectations, planning our trips better. And looking for alternatives to driving, that's the harsh reality of commuting in the 21st century. He also suggests that we raise the driving limit from 16 to 18, or maybe even older. He says the adult brain doesn't start developing properly until about 19 in girls and 21 in boys. And maybe the driver's license uh, age should be that high.
1: That's such an old person thing to say. Isn't it? Wow.
0: <laughs> One of the driving test instructors said the highlight of his day is when he gets to congratulate a driver on passing their test. But on the other side, telling someone they failed isn't always the easiest job. Some people don't take things well. They might swear, be abusive, throw things, or damage property. These customers can be the most challenging, they say. Okay. There you go. So driving test instructor is a very dangerous profession and in not New Zealand.
1: for the reasons you think.
0: No. I'm so glad I don't. Maybe we should have those. Uh, every Everybody should go through it. One when they start driving, maybe at middle age, and maybe at old
1: age. Um, I will be taking my driver's test at some point in the next six months. I will be reporting really? back to you about how that goes. Excellent. Like, uh, we might the, need
0: some uh, on-scene audio of that whole endeavor.
1: I will make a bold prediction right now. If I curse out my driving test officer, it will be because they failed me. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait for this
0: oh it'll be so great all right well thanks again for being here on the podcast thanks for listening until next time i'm jason luber the traffic guy
1: i'm youth driving advocate joseph peters
0: be safe and as always happy motoring